Star Wars 7x7 episode 3044. Nobody's listening is the title of chapter 9 of the Andor series. This is our 7 takeaway breakdown episode. And man, oh man, was this an episode to remember. Punch it. Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy. And thank you so much for joining me for it. So this is, as with all of our Takeaway Breakdown episodes, a full spoiler episode. And yeah, oh gosh, if you haven't seen the episode yet, then you need to see the episode. It is just spectacular. It's also the darkest Star Wars episode I think I've seen. And I'm not saying that I think it's spectacular because it was so dark. I think it's a spectacular episode because, well, let's start with the first takeaway. This particular episode is different from the other two middle of the story arc episodes that we've had already in the Andor series. Whereas those first two story arcs were, you know, they were great story arcs, they were definitely entertaining, those middle episodes were very much about chess piece setting. Like it was just about getting all the pieces in place for a slam bang finale to the story arc. That is absolutely not the case with what happens in Nobody's Listening. It is definitely a middle episode arc, but you don't get the sense that pieces are moving in place for a grand finale per se. I mean, not in the same way. Like the control of the pieces in motion is just so intricate and so delicate and it is glossed over by all the dramatic tension happening in the episode. To give you a concrete example of this, think about the Aldani story arc and the middle episode in it, right? That middle episode was very much about the planning of the heist, right? From the rehearsals as officers for marching orders and looking at the models that they had built to illustrate where the dam was and where everything was going to Cassie and having to learn various languages and about how to pilot the ship that they were going to have to fly out of there. Yes, of course, there were other things that happened too, but it was very much a planning episode for this is how the next episode is going to go. Not so with the situation we find in Nobody's Listening. If it had been similar to the Aldani story arc, then we would know exactly what the plan is for breaking out of the prison by the time this episode ended. And we obviously don't know that, but it looks like Cassian finally gets the piece of the puzzle that he needs to be able to make that situation happen. And apparently that's going to happen just in time as well because, well, that brings me to my second <laughs> takeaway for the episode, which is the fact that we got the biggest dose of how menacing and evil the Empire could be in this episode and quite possibly across any Star Wars storytelling ever. The interrogation scene with Bix and the oh-so-casual doctor was just terrifying, and the visual parallel that they draw to the interrogation of Princess Leia on the Death Star in the original Star Wars is a pretty neat little trick. We get our first example of what happens to the team that finishes last in a room on a given day in the prison. They get put in the quote-unquote box, which is just the center of the room, and then they get zapped the way that we saw Cassie 
Guardian and his fellow prisoners arriving on Narcana 5, getting, or Narcana 5, excuse me, getting zapped as they are introduced to the prison facility. So that's horrific. And then the fact that their, you know, poor older teammate has a massive stroke and the medic says, yeah, I'm going to euthanize him basically because there's no helping him and says to Cassian and Andy Circus that you're going to wish that you had an easy out like this in a week, which means that something really awful is about to happen at the prison, but something awful already has happened because the word is getting out that this prison is not letting anybody out, right? The fact that somebody was allegedly released from level four and then sent down to work in level two and it caused trouble. And so a hundred people got fried and we've seen what fried looked like when that one prisoner kind of freaked out in the previous episode. You know, it was just a couple episodes ago that Colonel Yalarin was saying, we're gonna have a package of bills passed through the Senate and it's gonna take the handcuffs off of us in terms of what we can do. Well, it sure looks like the handcuffs are already off and they're still debating in the Senate this whole situation. For a third takeaway, let's talk about Dedramiro. So Denise Goff had said in interviews prior to the release of the Andor series that we would start out cheering for her in the sense that she is a woman in a man's world and she is way smarter than almost all of her colleagues and we want to see her succeed in that regard. Certainly that seemed like the case for the first seven episodes. You can see how she is absolutely more intelligent and has better instincts than so many of her colleagues and is able to work successfully in that regard. This is the episode where the whole situation about her turns in the sense that, yeah, maybe we were rooting for her on some degree for that kind of solidarity, but no more, absolutely no more. She has shown us that she can be just as evil, if not more so than any of her male counterparts. And it isn't just necessarily about being a successful woman in a man's world. It's about being a successful fascist in a successful male fascist world. And she is willing to be as bad as anybody else. But I will say in relation to our fourth takeaway that it doesn't necessarily prevent me from having a little sympathy for her in relation to Ciro Karn. But <laughs> this guy is really starting to unravel a bit and he looks like he's keeping it together but the fact that he's now stalking Dedra and you know, has to tell her how grateful he is and sees her as a kindred spirit there is definitely something that has fractured in Cyril's mind and it is it's been really interesting to see what they've decided to do with this character from you know breaking him and making him useless after that first story arc how they are rebuilding this character into somebody that is becoming rather frightening in a different way I feel like I'm starting to get a little Anthony Perkins and Psycho vibes from him. And also Catherine Hunter as his mother is a fantastic actress and has just been absolutely killing her scenes every single week. So kudos to her too. For a fifth takeaway, we'll talk about Mon Mothma. And there are two big situations that happen for her in this episode. First of all, the fact that we're finding out that Vel is her cousin is mind-blowing. I know there had been scenes in teasers and trailers and whatnot where they were having conversations so it's not like we haven't seen them together but to know that they're actually related in this thing was kind of mind-blowing for me 
and her appearance also gave us yet another reason to absolutely hate and be disgusted by Perrin with his comments about her being too old and needing to find a widower to marry. <laughs> like, ah, oh, I mean, in one you know small sense, I guess you could say it maybe makes sense because of course, Perrin and Mon Mothma were married at like 15 years old, so yeah, that's certainly a different age situation, but my gosh, oh, that Perrin, oh, oh, he is absolutely the character that I most love to hate in this series. And we also get the idea from those scenes that father and daughter are paying attention to what's going on with Mon Mothma and Tay Colma, perhaps a little too much attention, and so maybe Mon might want to start paying a little attention to that herself because she's absolutely not hiding their conversations. She's not trying to be clandestine about it whatsoever, and that's something I think that could be a problem for her down the road. Which leads me to Mon's other big scene with Tay Colma finding out just how much trouble she could be in because there's 400,000 credits that she can't explain away and he is essentially trying to tell her how to get away with this and it's money laundering basically. He's saying that you have to be able to paper over it with some kind of deposit somehow. So that rolls pretty much right into what we were talking about on last week's deep dive episode. That's the one that has a, a thumbnail that says charity fraud in big letters with Mon Mothma pictured next to it. And what a name for this wealthiest thug banker, Davos Skulden, who wants Mon Mothma to help burnish his reputation by hosting him on Coruscant to possibly deal with this monetary situation. And this is going to cause even more problems because Luthen was already mad that Mon was considering expanding the circle of knowledge with you know, what they have going on. We still don't know who that third person was again, presumably Bail Organa, but now it's not only the old friend, but he's also already talked to the banker, except allegedly he's only talked about tax-related things and helping her keep what's hers and whatnot. But I have a feeling the likes of Davo probably know that it's not just that simple. In fact, it might be more complex. It might be more illegal than that. And if everyone's spying on her as she's talked about, well, I'm sure this isn't gonna go unnoticed. Yeah. <sighs> so that's a difficult proposition. All right, so let's get to the sixth takeaway, which has to do with Cassian's story arc. So Cassian's only been in there for around a month and a half, basically. So the way we're figuring that out is that when we first meet Kino Loy, Andy Serkis's character, he says he has 249 shifts left in his prison sentence. And at the end of this episode, he has 217 shifts left. And there was also a thing in the previous episode where it did a time jump and said like 30 shifts later or something like that. So yeah, we've only gone ahead about a month, month and a half, basically since Cassian was arrested and brought to the prison. But he has absolutely not been idle during this time frame. I mean, he's already talking to people at the other tables about what's going on in the prison and about anything that moves can't be wired to fry people. He's already considered where listening posts may be or may not be and the fact that nobody's listening to them when they're in their cells. He's grilling Andy Serkis for information on the guard patrols. And although he's not picking up on the sign language himself for the people trying to communicate across those, you know, transport tubes, he's still very interested in what's going on and what people are saying, obviously. And 
somehow with somebody, presumably multiple somebodies, he's part of a deal where they're trying to cut some sort of piping inside a refresher. I don't think we have a sense yet of what kind of pipe it is, whether it's a water pipe of some kind or if it's a conduit for you know, electrical cables or something like that. I think that would be my bet because it seems like a bad idea to flood the place necessarily because that just makes things more electrocutable potentially or maybe to short it out. I don't know, but we're going to find out probably next episode. My money is on electrical because they got to short out the zapper system, right? And even though it was basically official as of last week's episode, we can fairly say, I don't think I talked about it last week, that Cassian is flat out lying to Baze and Chirrut in Rogue One when he says that it's a first for him when they are in Saw cell. Unless you want to argue that he's saying it's a first for me being captured by Saw or a first for me being in a prison cell in a cave or some other way that you could fudge the truth from a certain point of view, right? Either way, he's certainly trying to actively manage the impression that Bayes and Chirrut have of him, and it's definitely playing fast and loose with the truth. I'll say that at its most generous. So that's six of our seven takeaways. And before I get to the seventh, I do want to take a second to say thank you to the folks at NordVPN for sharing a license with me to check out their virtual private network service. We've tried it out here on both Mac and PC, and we're finding that we can be connected to a VPN, and it's not slowing down our internet performance, and my son has tried it with gaming, which is supposed to be pretty <laughs> heavy duty in that regard, and so the fact that he's able to do what he loves to do and is not being affected by it and is able to have privacy and mask where he is in the world as he is online, that is a really cool thing. And another aspect of the NordVPN service that I really like is the dark web monitoring tool. So basically what that did for me is I've gotten emails saying, hey, your data may have been exposed in a data breach or something like that. Google has sent notifications like that. And that's great because it gives you the impetus to go change passwords and make sure that all of your information is secure. This dark web monitoring tool from NordVPN actually alerted me to a couple of other websites that have my you know, name and some demographic information and login information that were breached that I wasn't aware of from things that Google had sent me previously. So that's a couple of reasons why I'm definitely digging the NordVPN service. And thanks to them, you can grab an exclusive deal on NordVPN service for yourself by going to nordvpn.com slash Star Wars 7. That's N-O-R-D-V-P-N.com slash Star Wars and the number 7. And I will have that linked in the blog post for this show's episode at SW7X7.com and in the show notes as well. If you use that link, you'll get a huge discount and four months free, and you can try it risk-free because there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. So check it out again. Links at the blog post for this show's episode and in show notes as well. So let's talk about the seven takeaway. Actually, I have two fun facts, basically. First of all, for everything that happened in this episode, it was mind-blowing after the fact to realize that Luthen Rail does not appear in this episode. Neither does Clea. Like, what a crazy situation that we have all of this incredible stuff going on. It felt like it was so jam-packed with drama and intrigue, and yet we didn't see Luthen or Clea at all. And the other fun fact I wanted to share with you is that in the credits, they list a voice of God. <laughs> 
that's the name that they give to the person who is saying on program that computerized voice right that tells everybody to get their feet down and their hands up and whatnot so that voice is done by a person named martin ware and if you look at his imdb he is a casting associate so he's not really an actor like he has dozens of casting credits including the last jedi and solo a star wars story and the rise of skywalker and indiana jones 5 the latest jurassic world movie um yeah just tons of credits where he's working on casting movies and tv shows and yet he gets to also do this little thing which i just think is really cool and fantastic and so i'm very happy for martin Ware wherever he is in the world and so that's what I've got for you on this seven takeaway breakdown of Andor episode nine. Nobody's listening. And that's going to do it for this episode of the show. It just remains for me to say thank you so much for joining me for it as always. And may the force be with you wherever in the world you may be. Seven is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2021 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.